Our second Bible reading comes from the book of Matthew, which you'll be able to find in your Pew Bible on page 1007. Uh, we'll read from chapter 1, beginning from verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her <clears throat> until she gave birth to a son, <clears throat> and he gave him the name Jesus. Thank you, Corrie. Now, over the next few weeks, up until Christmas, we'll be starting on a series, a Christmas series, uh, with the theme, The Paradox of Christmas, The Christmas Paradox, because when you consider the story of Christmas, there are many ironies. And so the one we're looking at today is distant yet close. And if you see on the front of the newsletter, next will be lost yet found. And then on the 22nd, chaos yet peace. Weakness yet power at the carols, and then Christmas Day, servant yet Lord. And so we're going to consider these themes, and each builds on the other. But today, distant yet close. Let's uh, join our hearts and pray again that God might help us understand this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider what happened that first Christmas, that you'll help our hearts to wonder and ponder, like Mary, what you did in your kindness towards us in coming down in your son Jesus Christ that we might know you and be with you. We pray, Lord, that you might make that clear now to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'd like to begin with a question. That is, how do you know that there is a God? How can you be so certain that the God you believe is a real God? That, that you can be absolutely certain that is the only God there is. And how can you find such a God? How do you discover him? Part of my role as a pastor is that I get the privilege of spending a lot of time chatting with different people, lots of different people, speaking and discussing lots of different topics, from marriage to relationships to personal issues to life and even death. And in one recent conversation I had, just in the office behind me, meeting with a man, he's got an ageing father, and he said, perhaps not too long to go, back in London. 
And when we were meeting, we were in fact talking about a funeral of his partner's father. And of course, when you're talking about a funeral, when you're organising a funeral, and you're talking about life and death, we're talking about God. I mean, I'm a minister of the gospel. So the topic of God came up. And so I asked this man, this gentleman, where do you stand with God? What do you think? Where are you placed before God? And his answer really reflected what much of the world thinks about God. He said, I don't know whether there is a God. How can anyone be so certain that there is a God? I mean, the way we're advancing as humanity will eventually discover more and more. And then he said, perhaps in 500 years, I don't know, the way science and technology is advancing, maybe then, maybe in 500 years' time, we'll find something about God. But now, I just don't know. That was his answer. And what he reflected in his answer was perhaps how much of the world thinks about God. And what he was in fact saying was, not only don't I know, but you can't be so certain as well. And so once, when someone says that, what do you say? If you believe in God, what do you say? It's the age-old question, isn't it? How do you know there is a God? How do you know that this one God is the one who made all things, is the all-powerful, all-wise God? And how do you find and discover such a God? Because if we rely on ourselves, our human intelligence, our human intellect, our scientific discoveries, our technological developments, our outer space endeavours, we've come a long way already, haven't we, as people, as humanity. Will another 500 years help with discovering God as our technology advances? Well, surely if it depended upon us to find God, we would have done that already. We're so advanced already as people, aren't we? I mean, this year, just a highlight, this year marked one of the huge milestones in all of human history. It's 50 years since the first man stepped foot on the moon. 50 years. It happened in 1969. Some of you old enough will remember that 50 years ago. About 500 million people around the world crowding around radios and TV boxes. And on the 21st of July, 1969, Neil Armstrong, he stepped out of Apollo 11's Eagle Lunar Module, stepped onto an unknown surface in a completely different world. And do you remember what he said when he stepped on the moon? He said, that's one small step for man one giant leap for mankind and it was a giant leap humanity made it to the moon stepping into the unknown the unreachable but was that giant leap for mankind enough to find god it shows how technologically advanced we are is that enough to find god will all the advances in technology and scientific endeavors like that little conversation I had with that man. He said, in 500 years, our technology will maybe get us to God. But will it? Going further into space, getting smarter in our brains, will it help us find God? Well, whatever endeavours 
However advanced our technology, our science, it will never be enough to find God. It's not how you discover God. It's not how you find God. It's not how you become certain that there is a God. See, during the space race in the 50s and 60s between the US and Russia, it was the Russians who first put a man into outer space. The Russians made it there first. You may remember the story in 1961, Yuri Gagarin, the cosmonaut, the Russian cosmonaut, he went up into space first, and after he returned, the leader of the Communist Party, Nikita Khrushchev, he's the leader of this atheistic society, he said, Gagarin flew into space, but he didn't see God. And in response, an American astronaut, John Glenn, the first American to orbit the Earth, in 1962 do you know what he said he said well that's not how you find god my god is not so small that i would expect to see him in outer space and so humanity has made great strides in technology a giant leap for mankind it's never enough to find god going to the moon into outer space Never enough. In the ancient world, what did they do? They built temples high up on the Acropolis of Athens to try to reach the gods. In the, the Tibetan monks, they built monasteries up in the mountains to try to reach the gods. But it will never be enough if it depended on us. So then the question again, how do you know God? How can you come to know that there is a God with absolute certainty? Because you see, all of us, we have an inner longing in our hearts, all humanity. We have an inner longing to find God, to discover him. It's that hunger for transcendence that haunts the human spirit, that, that sense of eternity that has been laid upon our hearts. And even talking to that man in my office, in that conversation, he said, I don't know if there is a God. Even though we're talking about life and death, he said, I don't know whether there is a God. But I could see that he wanted to believe that there is a God. He was longing for transcendence, that, that longing that haunts his spirit. We were talking about death, but he just could not be certain. How can you be absolutely certain that this is the God? So how can you be certain? I mean, in your conversations, if you believe in God, how can you be certain how do you defend yourself? How would you answer that? Because you see, when we look at the Bible and how God is described, no amount of technology or scientific endeavours will get us a God. It's just like what that astronaut said, John Glenn, my God is not so small. And when you look at the Bible, you can't help but feel so small, so insignificant, terrifyingly insignificant. In a few passages in Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, it gives us a sense of how big God is and how small we are. And if we are so small, there's no hope for us to discover God. And so in Isaiah 40, we read, we read this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? It's rhetorical. Who on earth? can hold the oceans in his hands but God who can measure the heavens with the width the span of his hand but God 
It's rhetorical. None of us can. We're so small and insignificant. And moving on. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? I mean, as people, we can play with Legos and bricks. We can handle that. But with God, he's handling the mountains, the Matterhorn, Mount Everest, K2. And then we read on. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counsellor? See, the, the brightest, most intelligent human minds will have nothing to share with God, nothing to teach God, nothing new to say to God. And if that is God, how do you find him? How do you discover such a God? And then we move on in Isaiah forty twenty two. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spread them out like a tent to live in. The universe is God's. He made it. He stretched it out. And we human beings, but little specks, one of seven billion on this little planet in this massive galaxy and this massive cosmos. How do we, as small, insignificant people, find God and know that he is there? It's why another astronaut, Jim Irwin, he was part of the Apollo 15 mission. He spent three days on the moon in 1971. And when he was there, he described it as, as a story where he felt so small and insignificant standing on the moon and looking back to Earth. He said in one story in New South Wales, he said, standing on the moon and looking back at Earth, he was able to close one eye, hold out his thumb, and cover the entire planet with that thumb. Every mountain, every city, every person, every valley, every ocean. It just made him feel so terrifyingly small and insignificant. But yet it was God who made it all. God who made the entire universe. There are so many stars that we can't even number. Billions upon billions upon billions of stars. But God named them all. He's above us, beyond us. He's transcendent. He's far and he's distant. So how do you find such a God? How do you discover such a God? How can you know with certainty that such a God exists? Well, the only way we can know is not by our own speculation. We can speculate all we like. That's what philosophers do. We can speculate all we like. We'll never discover it that way. The only way is not dependent upon any giant leap of mankind. But instead, how can we know with certainty? God made that leap. God made that leap to us. The God who is so distant, so above us, so beyond us, has come close. And that is the story of Christmas. Distant yet close. So distant but yet has come so very close to us. See, Christmas has made possible what we cannot achieve on our own. And so that age-old question has been answered by God. 
And so in that same conversation with the man, he said, remember what he said? Perhaps in 500 years' time, I don't know, with the way science and technology, how it's advancing, maybe in 500 years' time we'll find then whether there is a God. I don't know. And do you know what I said? What would you say if someone said that? Maybe give it a bit more time, a bit more technology, a bit more brain power, a bit more intelligence. What would you say? Well, I said to him, maybe we know already. Maybe we know already. You're just not looking in the right place because he has already come. You see, 700 years before the first Christmas, that was what God promised. He promised to the world that he would come into the world and he'll come in the most unusual way, the most unexpected way, not in the royal glory that is expected of Almighty God, not with the armies of angels, but as a child. And so we saw that in our first reading. Isaiah 7. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Promised 700 years before the first Christmas. And Emmanuel means God with us. God has come near. How can you be so certain that there is a God? That your God is the real God? It's not up to us to discover him, but it's up to him, and he came. And that's exactly what happened at Christmas time. See, it's the story of Christmas. God stepped into his own creation. The vast distance between transcendent God and mortal us has been closed by God. He stepped into his own creation. God came in the birth of Jesus Christ, his son. And so that's why we read in our second reading in Matthew, the story of Christmas. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, which means she was a virgin. And then later in that passage, Matthew all this took place to fulfill what God had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, sometimes I feel like Christmas, because it's so familiar, happens every year, we lose sense of the wonder, the grandeur of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Try to fathom that. This is the creator, the divine one, coming into the created, into the very wounds he made himself. Augustine, one of the church fathers, he was trying to make sense of it. It's just so mind-boggling. I mean, he, he said, He was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by the hands that he had formed. How do you make sense of that? The creator inside the created. But that is the story of Christmas. And that is the story of God who was distant, yet has come close to us, and close as a human being. So how can you know in your own conversations, how can you share, how can you defend, that you know with absolute certainty 
that there is a God and your God is the right one, the true one and the only one. Not because of technology, not because of our scientific endeavours, not because of space travel. It is the Christmas story. God has come close in the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. He has closed the distance between God and man by becoming a man so that we can now say, I know God. You see, there's a big difference speaking to those who do believe. There's, there's absolute certainty. My God is real. To those who are still searching, I just don't know. Maybe eventually we'll find, I just don't know. There is a big difference. And so what does that mean for you and me now? It means that the, the vast, the long history of humanity's search for divinity, for God, that search is over. It's over. There's no need to wait 500 years. The inner longing for transcendence, it is fulfilled because God has come. The fiddling in the dark, walking at no light has come. The haunting of the spirit is no more because of Christmas. Jesus Christ is God with us and he has come as a man, formed, imagine that, as a fetus inside the womb, born as a baby, needing to learn to walk and to talk, becoming a man in human history with a particular height, hair colour, weight, accent, language. God has come close in the most tangible way ever as a human being. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. It was the Oxford professor, C.S. Lewis, who explained it really well. He explained why it was necessary for God to come near us by becoming a man. It's really the only way we can understand God properly and fully. He, he spoke about how that required the humility of God to come down to our terms, to be like us. It will be like, as C.S. Lewis explains, if any one of us human beings had a close attachment to a crab or a slug and we want to love it, and protect it and express our feelings to that crab or slug. How do you do that? You might try to protect it, put it in a cage or whatever. You might try to express it by speaking to it, but it won't understand you. It's just a crab or a slug. The only way will be to turn into a crab or a slug. I mean, how many of us will be willing to do that for any crab, any crustacean, any snail? I certainly wouldn't. Even if it meant I'll have a very close relationship with that crab, I wouldn't do it. But it would be the best way to communicate to that crustacean to become a crab. You see, we think about that and we think, that is ridiculous. How humiliating that will be. How dehumanizing that will be for us to do such a thing. But now let's think about God the maker of the universe with all power and wisdom, not dehumanizing but de-godding himself and becoming a man so that we can know God, so that we can know with absolute certainty our God is the real God.
so that when you look at the life of Jesus, a life of love and compassion and mercy, what you see there is you're seeing God. So that when you listen to the teachings of Jesus, of salvation and eternal life and the kingdom of God, what you're listening to there is you're listening to God. And when we come to know Jesus, no need to go to the mountains or to meditate in the desert or the caves or into outer space. We come to Jesus, we come to God. Why? It's the Christmas story. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But more than that, not just knowing God and knowing about God, we can be with God. We can say, those who know the Christmas story and believe the one who came, we can sincerely, deeply, genuinely say, I know God personally, intimately, genuinely, because God is with us because of Jesus Christ, the one who flung the stars in the skies and knows it all by name, the one who raised the mountains and sends the rain and the snow, the one who stretched out the heavens, the one who is enthroned above the earth. I have a relationship with him because of Christmas. God so distant, but yet now so close because of Jesus. And that's why C.S. Lewis, he, he said, the Son of God became a man to enable men or mankind to become sons of God. So how can we? How can anyone know with absolute certainty that there is God and your God is the real one? Well, the giant leap of mankind will never be enough. But God made the leap. Not speculation, but revelation. Incarnation, God taking on flesh. God made the leap and came that first Christmas in his son Jesus Christ. And so do you see the paradox of Christmas? God so distant, but now so close. And so if anyone thinks I don't know whether God exists. What can we say? Well, maybe he has already come. You're just not looking in the right place. In fact, he has already come. He's come to be worshipped and to be known by us. You see, unless we understand Christmas that way, we can just go through the motions when Christmas comes. It is so extraordinary and so profound. God's come to be with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. Unless we understand Christmas that way, our Christmas will be empty. And we will be like still walking in the dark. Our spirit will still be haunted by this transcendent and we'll still need to needlessly search. So how do you know God? Do you know God? who has come to be with us. Now, I suspect amongst some of you here, some of you do not yet know this God. You do not yet know Jesus Christ, who has come close. Well, let me encourage you, do ponder. Ponder the awesome story of Christmas, what you have heard. Christmas comes every year, not just as a nice, fun celebration. It is far more than that because it is the celebration of God making the leap to us. But if you are already a Christian and you know God, 
and you can say, Jesus is my saviour, he is Emmanuel, then for us who already believe, it's worth us as Christians to make sure that this Christmas, it's not superficial. We need to ponder the wonder of Christmas. God has come near for you and for me. And now this season, it can get very busy. It will get very busy for everyone. There's shopping, gifts to buy, presents to wrap, people to see, parties to attend, and we can just get so caught up that we forget God who was distant has come close. I mean, even this week, as Yvonne and myself, we were reflecting on all our responsibilities over the next few weeks. Six different talks, three Christmas parties, two carol service, and then there's all the other Christmas stuff on top of that. It is busy in the household. It's just busy. I'm not going to do any gardening for the next few weeks. Busy, busy. But we just had to reflect quickly and briefly. We said, it's busy, Yvonne, but we can't get caught up. We have to enjoy this season. We have to enjoy this season because God moved heaven and earth to be with us, to be with you and to be with me. And so how can anyone know? My first question at the beginning, with absolute certainty that God is real. But it's what we sing about. It is the Christmas story. You know, in Hark, the herald angels sing. We sing the words, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Let's pray.